This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Everybody called this Sunday boring. I don't know what you were watching. First of all, I will repeat my long-standing belief that in May, you will be begging for Browns Bears. You'll be begging for Matt Eberflus sideline shots. Yep, even you Bears fans. You'll be begging, saying, let me get some live Bears action. Um, I'm not going to do much on Saturday, the Saturday slate. On the playoffs, we'll, we'll try to do Saturday and Sunday episodes. I won't do it. I will say, like the Steelers thing, the more I think about it, the more that I'm less impressed retroactively what the Steelers' skill is, which is taking below average or let's say average rosters and dragging them, or let's just say average seasons and dragging them up to 500, nine wins, whatever. Like, I don't know why this popped into my head, but on Saturday I was watching the Steelers and I was thinking about how they're absolutely going to continue Mike Tomlin's streak of 500 or above. They're going to find a way. And I was thinking about how, so the final four, I got uh, an Uber. I was running late and I needed to get an Uber from the hotel. And uh, I get in and the guy's like, hey, I got to get gas. And I was like, I'm really running late, man. I normally would have, but but can you just get the gas? Like, yeah, all good, man. And he's got like, you know, five miles to go and the trip's 10 miles down to downtown Houston. And uh, and then like the whole ride, like things are like dragging on the ground of the highway. The guy's not going slow. It was, the car was literally falling apart. I just closed my eyes and I said, you know what? This guy's got like a hundred rides under his belt. I look at his rating. It's pretty good. Tons of rides. And I was like, I'm just going to trust this guy gets the destination better than that, as well as anybody else. You just, just a little, you know, just, just a little bit of panic when you get there. Okay. So then I get there and I go, wow, the system works. That was awesome. I was right. And it's like, well, wait a second. Was that good? Was that the, was that good? Was that the skill? Is that you, you got me, you got me to the Hyatt, but it would, I would, the whole time I was like, is this really going to happen? Like, is that what the Steelers are now is just a, a, that roster. We get them to nine wins, 10 wins. And we're all impressed. We all clap. Like this is, that's not what this is supposed to be. And I think Roethlisberger, a little bit self-serving was like, maybe the tradition of the Steelers is dead or whatever. Maybe it's over. I forget what his phrasing was. I think it was over. But I, I think more than anything, it's that the Steelers were supposed to, as a franchise, compete for a Super Bowl every single year. It should not be, let's see how many wins they can squeeze out. And part of that is talent. They have a lot of top-end talent. They don't have anything at the quarterback position to speak of right now. Not ruling out Pickett, but I think I think Denny Carter had a pretty funny line on Sunday where he said like he loves when backups thrive because then they get to trot out the stats about how how their stats are better than Kenny Pickett. Like De- we tr- trot out DeVito. Oh, he's got more touchdowns than Kenny Pickett. Like that's that's not good. So I don't know what it is. I would not. There are a lot of people in Pittsburgh who were like, oh time to fire Thomas. So I saw some radio guys. I would not do that. But I would not, I'm not going to be impressed anymore and clap the next time Mike Tomlin takes a lemon season and turns into lemonade. I'm no longer impressed with that. Uber in the car. Um, All right. So I said I wasn't going to spend on Saturday and I spent five minutes talking about it. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to do five things that matter. 
maybe six things that matter. And within that, I'm going to end up talking about 10 teams, but we're just going to, we're going to have a couple of umbrellas here and then we're going to seek shade. And then we're going to talk about a couple of different buckets here. We're going to start with this. Uh, it's thing one, and it's by far the most important thing that happened on Sunday. The Bills had an identity and it was Josh Allen. The Cowboys had an identity and it was what it's always been, frankly, which is a good line helping Dak Prescott good at everything. Top five in offense and defense. Good talent, talent along the front seven, talent along the offensive line, talent at quarterback and skill guys. What if we were wrong about everything I just said? Because Josh Allen said, <laughs> Josh Allen said he felt like he was he didn't do anything in the class project and got an A, which is correct. James Cook carried the group. He carried the group, and I thought there was a floor on Cowboys football. Right, as currently constructed and in general, because we've seen it for a number of years. Would you say what you will about Jerry Jones and Will McClay and all those guys in the front office? They will fix the line. They will have a line. And there was obviously a huge injury on it today. But there was a level of talent that I thought existed that that's the kind of loss that makes me question everything. And not to get off the Cowboys bandwagon so quickly, but like when you have an identity game like that, that's what's concerning. Like to me, watching the cup, it's like I love Jason State the movies, and sometimes you don't even know what the hell you're watching when it's a crank or a transporter movie, whatever. There's like eight of eight of the transporter movies. We're like, oh hell yeah, I know what I'm going to get for the next twenty minutes. That's how I feel about Cowboys football. Is I feel like I know what I'm going to get. All of a sudden, Deion Dawkins is sending Damone Clark into the shadow realm. He drove him fifteen yards into the end zone on one of those touchdowns. James Cook, since week 10, and I thought Ken Dorsey was being scapegoated. James Cook, since week 10, 462 rushing yards, fifth in the NFL, 18 explosive rushing rushing yards, excuse me, 18 explosive rushes, second in the NFL, second in receiving yards for backs, three receiving touchdowns tied for first, nine missed tackles forced on receptions, third in the NFL. Six in explosive receptions tied first in the NFL. By the way, this is all via Brad Spielberger, our buddy. The Bills had a bye in week 13. And the the catch, the catch numbers to me are the most interesting. And you saw it on Sunday. But I'm thinking, I'm sitting here saying, okay, the Bills, and I've shared this with you guys, but the Bills basically say that they want to avoid Josh Allen having to do too much. And what if there's a safety valve on every single play? Because he makes mistakes. He forces it. He wants to put the team on his back. What if there's a safety valve and it doesn't have to be like Gabe Davis 27 yards down the field? doesn't have to be even be – we saw it on Sunday. It doesn't have to be Stephon Diggs having a one-handed catch. What if it's James Cook four yards behind in front of the line of scrimmage catching an easy pass for nine yards? What if it's that? Because we kept talking over the past month about what it means to play your best football in the wintertime. And I think we all agree now that it's kind of finding your second pitch. And I'm not saying the Bills, like this league keeps humbling us. Like I, I thought, I mean, I'll give you a great example. The Lions and the Broncos, especially in the second half of the season, looked like they were going completely opposite directions. Well, guess what? The Lions kicked their ass. The Lions had the worst defense by EPA in the second half of the season. The Broncos had one of the best. They meet and oops, all that trending was wrong. But I'm not 
what I am going to say is that the bottom three seeds in the AFC right now are all backup quarterbacks. And there's a ceiling there. And all of a sudden you enter in the Bills, who are becoming a bit of a different team in the Joe Brady era. That That's interesting. That's the I'm doing the Russell Russell, Russell Westbrook face. That's interesting. And the Bills can become a better team because that's and a different team because that's what happens when you have Josh Allen and that's what happens when you win a game like this without him. Um, but let's flip back to the Cowboys for a second. First of all, Jonathan Hankins goes out and he was a big run stuffing defensive lineman and. One of two things happened. Either he's the best player in football and we didn't know about it. And like, I love the Jenga piece. I love the interact, like the uh, retroactive. We found out this guy was incredibly valuable games, like the best of all time. And I I know this is different, but like, I remember Earl Thomas went out of a game with Seahawks and we all knew how great Earl Thomas was. But the moment he went out, the Seahawks just forgot to play football. It was rookie of the year type. Oh my God, I'm back to being a 14 year old type stuff from that Seahawks defense. And um, it was a Sunday night game too, 2016, I want to say. But sometimes you see that. And so either Hankins is the best player in football or this team has more flaws than I thought. And you can run on them. And I thought, and this is where I was totally wrong. I just talked, I just talked about things that, that just seem to be trending in a different direction. I thought because of the wind, I was going to be a line and scrimmage game. And I thought that favored the Cowboys. Because I thought they were a different team than they actually are. So now all of a sudden, this team is supposed to stop the Niners in the playoffs? I don't know about that. We already saw the proof of concept of that in September. But like now all of a sudden, the team that can't stop the run is going to go against Christian McCaffrey. And that team that got bullied. Like it, you, If you get bullied by the Bills, wait till you see the bullying ability of the Niners. Uh-oh, buddy. Um. So the Bills have a call before garbage time, so first three quarters. They called a run in 69% of their offensive plays. And James Cook, I could read you a million things. First player with 200 scrimmage yards and two scrimmage touchdowns versus the Cowboys since Alfred Morris in December 2012. I was at that game. My first year covering the NFL. And uh, I can't believe that James Cook and this Bills team was the, was the team that did that. Um, 11 years. Because again, they were supposed to have an identity. There's all sorts of stats here. Um, and I saw midweek, I saw one of the, I think it was a Sumer Sports guy, um, basically said the Cowboys run defense is seventh in the NFL in EPA per rush, but 31st in Russian success rate. It's from Arjun um, over there that they were, 31st in Russian success rate, which means that they were getting a lot of help from kind of Ben, Ben don't break, uh, lots of turnovers, lots of high leverage down performances, basically meaning like they through a combination of luck and what we would call clutch play, they were able to stop the run. And I guess the stats suggest that that couldn't last forever. But again, I didn't know it was going to happen with this Bills team. So this is by far the most important game of the week to me because the Bills have a new identity and the Cowboys have an identity we didn't know. And Joe Brady seems like the correct guy for this team, which I, I was seriously, seriously doubting. But this has changed January 
more than anything. All right, number two, Joe Barry is not the guy. Um, managing a staff, so this is the Green Bay Packers defense coordinator, managing a staff is one of the things we just don't talk about enough. Somebody told me even like a couple of weeks ago that like Brandon Staley's big flaw, young guy, one year as a DC, rose up the ranks really fast. He was at JMU when one of my old producers was a student there. Um, and he just didn't have a lot of experience in managing a staff, managing people under him. He just didn't have that and he didn't have that gene. And that's just, that's a general point I'm making is like, it's, it's the one thing we don't talk about enough. We can talk about his lack of defense or whatever his scheme or communication skills, but we're never like, Oh, does a linebackers coach like him? I don't know. So anyway, long story short, managing a staff and coaching the coaches is so important. And that's why like, I couldn't be more impressed with the coaches who reliably uh, produce great assistance uh, elsewhere or within that. I mean, like, even, I mean, like, I'm weirdly impressed that Belichick gets so much out of his assistants and they aren't good. Like that shows you he coaches them really, really well and they're actually not very good. And they're like in some weird system. You can read about it in Sale Bickersham's book where it's like called 20, 2020, where they just make $20,000 a year and just sign their life away and then they just work for Bill Belichick and then they all rise up the ranks. They all become quarterbacks coach. And then one day they get a job they don't deserve somewhere else because they met Bill Belichick. Anyway, um, staff management can rear its head and it can show itself in a bunch of different ways. Matt LaFleur has not figured out the defensive side of the ball since getting into Green Bay. He had Mike Pettin. Now he has Joe Barry. Joe Barry is really bad. Baker Mayfield is the first visiting quarterback ever with a perfect passer rating at Lambeau Field. First visiting quarterback ever with a perfect passer rating. It's Baker freaking Mayfield. And this is a team that a week ago made Tommy DeVito a national sensation. By the way, Tommy DeVito came back to earth this weekend. They have athletes all over the place. And what I feel like that, like when you have athletes, when you take like unbelievably athletic people, and I know like people, people are like, oh, they're all NFL athletes. Like, no, these are unusually athletic people, especially the Georgia guys. When that happens, a lot of times it's up to the coach. There's a lot of pressure on the defensive coach to, to unlock that. Because I, I just, I mean, especially on the Georgia, like Kirby Smart is an elite scheme guy, and he was able to figure out how to implant that dog in them, and then literally, and uh, the Bulldogs, and then let them go and produce. And if you have the athleticism, you can rush the passer. That's that should be assumed. And I haven't seen enough of that. The coverage stuff was awful, awful. Via PFF. They had two forced, the Packers had two forced incompletions and allowed 85% of passes thrown to be completed and just one defensive stop on those passing plays. I don't even know. Like, I, I just, I, Chris Godwin caught 10 of 11 of his targets for 155 yards. And then here's one this is via the NFL Baker Mayfield against zone coverage, 361 yards, three touchdowns, 20 of 24. And then I don't even know what this, the hell is. Baker Mayfield threw a touchdown pass to all four levels of the field for the third time in his career, most by any quarterback since 2016. What I, I can't, I can guess what the four levels of the field are, but I can also guess the, what that means about the Packers defense. This was disastrous. And on the offensive side of the ball, it wasn't much better. 
Because, but the the issue is, is that this team was good enough with a good defense to make the playoffs and win that division. If they, if every, if everything broke right, Jordan Love is good enough for that with everything broke right. But they're putting themselves in position to not have things break right. I still think like one of the weird things on fourth down, Matt Lafleur still calls low percentage plays. I don't know why he does that. It is maddening to watch as someone who. Just this is a neutral. I just look at it and I say, "What are you doing down at the goal line?" They got bailed out because Baker Mayfield fumbled. I think like a play later, but like I just don't know why they like they they make life harder on themselves. That's I I, I don't know. They have the they've drafted well. I think they drafted well. I think people have pushed back on that. I disagree. They've drafted well. They have the athletes. Love can be good enough. They make life harder for themselves. And now this is one of the things. This is why he's on my list. Now we know that Joe Barry is not the answer. So next man up. Sorry, next man up. Um, the Bears, by the way, I'm just going to put them in the same bucket. NFC North, this was, first of all, the Bears have now lost three games where they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, tied for the most NFL uh, t- most NFL history, and they got a couple weeks to go on that. Um the Darnell Mooney thing, I just, how does that become an interception? That was the most Madden thing I've ever seen. Not maddening, Madden. If you've played Madden, you've seen the long touchdown pass you thought you had in your hand somehow becomes an interception. That was pure Madden. Um, the Browns, so I just read you that stat about the Bears and how many 10-point leads they blew. Well, the Browns had lost their last 49 games when down 10 entering the fourth quarter. The last time they had had a comeback like this was Brian Hoyer in Tennessee in 2014. Brian Hoyer. So the Bears are so good at blowing leads that the Browns could buck history. So that's that's kind of all you need to know. By the way, I don't hate this. Doug Farr had a um, a piece saying Stefanski could be in the coach of the year discussion. 26% of his cap is on IR. I don't hate that if Joe Flacco is what we think he is. Um, and I'm, what I mean is dealing and can looks like they're going to win. Like we vote at the end of the season, regular season, but like, I don't, there's a bunch of coach of the year candidates. We can do an award show thing in next week, something like that. Um, but that's actually not, not a bad, not a bad take. Um, thing three, the Atlanta Falcons. Good God. I got a bunch of questions. So we're going to do questions here in a second, but I got a bunch of questions just being like, why this has to end. We can't do this anymore. Why is this happening? Um, old buddy Danny Heifetz says Desmond Ritter has six turnovers in the red zone. Most by a player at this point in the season since Deshaun Kaiser for the 0-16 Browns a couple years ago. Um, the strange thing to me is that Arthur Smith, I believe, is a good play caller. I don't know what the disconnect is. I don't know why everything is so weird. I don't, if I'm Arthur Blank, so I would not fire everybody. I know everybody likes firing people. I know people think that that's not, we have a reader question about the Falcons, by the way, but I know that everyone thinks like this, they've given Arthur Smith enough chance, whatever. What I would investigate if I was Arthur Smith, excuse me, Arthur Blank, (laughs) I probably wouldn't need to investigate if I'm Arthur Smith. If I'm Arthur Blank, the owner, I investigate how they came into the season believing Desmond Ritter was the answer and having no, like Taylor Heineke obviously was not a credible replacement. They didn't 
really investigate anything in the draft. Why did they, what was the process that led them to this? Was Ritter the best practice player of all time? His, his, his college tape didn't light it up. Like, what did they think this was going to look like? And why did they do this? Because entering, I, I don't believe that this should be a fireable offense, but it should be an, what's investigated. And if if we come to the conclusion that it was the worst process we've ever seen, yeah, then maybe maybe someone loses their job. But entering into the season with, and like the backup quarterback thing, like Jay Gruden said a couple weeks ago on Twitter, you know, you, your quarterback gets hurt, you go play golf. I understand that part. But entering into the season with a backup caliber quarterback as your starter in the, the league that's currently constructed is really unforgivable. So I'd give Arthur one more year, Arthur Smith one more year, but I would just like, let's form a committee, the Desmond Ritter Truth Committee, and we're going to find out, we're going to get to, the, we're going to do a report, we'll do a commission, and we'll find out what the hell happened with the quarterback decision, because it's one of the most baffling things with that roster in that division that we've seen in the last couple of years. And I'm not firing everybody, I'm just saying, what was that? All right. Um, thing four, the Jets are done. I have a quick Rodgers take. I'm really tired, and I was on this at the very beginning. Like, I, I ch- I've changed my mind on this. The very beginning, I was like, well, Aaron Rodgers isn't coming back. He's doing this for attention. Like, that, I said that, like, in my head, and maybe I said it publicly. Like, the first minute that he was like, ah, I um, did this Achilles thing. I did this, you know surgery that's really innovative we're like okay buddy but the man is practicing and he's making like the people are making plays as a db and scout team and he's out there throwing balls if he was doing this to get attention i don't i don't think he this would it would have gone this far I think he's doing this for himself i think this is a guy who needed to prove he could get healthy he could it sounds like I don't know how serious anything was or whatever, but what my feeling on this is like we've gotten very cynical about this Rogers thing because there's just a lot of people who don't like him, and that's fine. You you do you. Um, I'm fairly neutral on him. I don't I don't have any huge opinions on him, but he's out there and this is serious and he's taking this seriously and I think he's doing it because he's an older guy who needs to prove. He can still do this. It is very scary to get any sort of season-ending injury when you're that old. He's, he's we. I think we got spoiled by the Rodgers and the Breeze and the Bradys and the guys who could just get, who could, as I said, Rodgers, the the Breeze and the Bradys and even Peyton Manning who were able to just keep going until the wheels fell off. Like you don't. It, it, it's it's probably a very scary thing to stare down your football mortality, and I think him doing this was more for him and not to wind us up. I don't think this was a to troll us. If he was trolling us, he, he wouldn't have gone through all of this stuff. Like this was, he was working towards something. And if he wants to be inspiring to other people and he's calling on people with the Achilles, that's one part of it. I think he's trying to inspire himself. That was my take on it. Anyway, he's not coming back to play because the Dolphins dominated the Jets. The Jets are done. Um, Florio said that Tyreek was not close, but it sounds like he also said that he'll play next week. Um, this was a shellacking. Bradley Chubb, I was I think believe leads the team in pressures this year. Um, had his best game as a Dolphin on Sunday. Um, Tua without Tyreek. I mean, I can't say he didn't miss a beat, but like hit Jalen Waddle and stride forty nine yards in the air. Um, 
the defense allowed four yards in the first half. First time since any team had that few yards since 2015 when it was Raiders Broncos. What's funny is that the Raiders were the team. They got minus 12 points in the first half. I do not remember this game, but I'm sitting there thinking like, all right, obviously it's the Broncos defense, but I'm sitting there saying like, all right, well, Raiders must've been down to, you know, Brian Hoyer or something. And I looked up and it was, no, it was Derek Carr. Just Derek Carr turned into cool minus 12 yards. Um, and I'm starting to trust the Dolphins more and more each week. They have an identity. I haven't seen them move off it in any serious way. So I'm just, every week, I keep I keep looking for reasons to to discount them. And like the other thing is people keep saying to me when I go on these shows, they're like, well, they don't beat good teams. Or they struggle against good teams. Yeah, so does everybody. That's why they're good. Like I think that's a little bit of the... Like beating up on bad teams is a, is a skill. Like that's that's normally you know point differential matters for a reason, and it's not it's not point differential against good teams. So I'm going to pump the brakes on that. Um, I do think they obviously have deficiencies, um, but they're just taking care of business. I don't want to tell you, pal. Um, all right, real quick before I get to my last thing, Staley had to do it. I called for it. What week three, week four? was never going to get any better. Should have never gotten the job. The next time someone says, I have a great scheme and I can stop the run without devoting people to it, and they have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, you should not take them seriously. It's not to say Raheem Morris, I can't get a head coaching job. I'm just saying one year with those guys, with Donald and Ramsey, and being like, well, my scheme is great. Why not talk about it a lot? Like maybe we should pump the brakes on that a little bit. So he was inexperienced. I don't think he connected with players very well. He didn't have a good scheme. Like the defensive side of the ball, he just didn't take take care of that side. Like there was nothing. Kellen Moore was a bad hire. And we talked about this. I think Sturm, Sturminator was on the show week two, maybe. And we talked about it because I the, what blew my mind when the hire first happened was they hired him, hired Moore to – lead to explosive plays, but Moore's playbook and his numbers do not suggest he's an explosive offensive coordinator. He doesn't really do that. The types of routes he calls for, it's not, it's not that kind of, it's not post routes, man. Um, it's a lot of stop routes that like, look at the numbers. Sturm and Ted Wynn did a great breakdown of it. Kellen Moore is not that guy. He is not that guy. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code BET. 
amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, quick one on the Sunday night game. I didn't learn a whole lot. I was just BSing with my producers about this before we started recording. This game went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Lamar Jackson's throw to Isaiah Likely. I think sometimes we forget. Like This is one of my big things about how we, we shut the door on guys too early. Um, Lamar Jackson's ability to get out of a sack is unlike anything in the history of football. And like, I always have old heads who say, well, we didn't see Fran Tarkenton. Like, no, I've watched enough YouTube video. I'm sure we're good here. Um, he is so good. And I've done a lot of reporting on this. He's so good at just using guys momentum against them. And he just understands where guys are going to go and kind of how to, how to anticipate. I mean, it's very like Wayne Gretzky go where the puck will be right when you're getting out of a sack and Lamar Jackson just has a supernatural ability. Um, whenever I see a play like that, I, I remember a high school coach who told me that when he got bullied by Lamar, um, that he literally just like looked in the mirror and was like, what am I not doing for my young men? Like, am I failing as a coach? And then as the years went on, he saw Florida state struggle. He saw Clemson struggle. He saw all these guys. And then all of a sudden, NFL level, like nobody can defend him. And he was like, damn, I'm a pretty good coach. Like, I feel like that. I think it, think about that story when I see that kind of play. Um, they controlled everything. The Mitchell injury might end up being huge. We'll see what happens there. Um, but this Ravens team, they, in two weeks, they play the Dolphins. And I feel, I talk about this in the college football all the time. Sometimes you have quarterfinals in the regular season that that end up kind of showing you what the playoffs should look like, and whoever gets the one seed in a like I don't want to play the Browns in the first round with that defense and feisty Joe Flacco, and I definitely don't want to play the Bills. So the one seed, the bye, is incredibly important. Like it's not a stacked AFC, but it's I'm scared enough to where I I need it. I need home field. Um, the rate we've seen the Ravens at home field get get caught short before, but I don't know. I, I that that game in two weeks is is the regular season game of the year from a from a 
stakes perspective because of what it means for the foot. Like I know we've had a bunch of the little NFC round robin, but like I'm really intrigued to see it in the AFC South. Like the Jaguars should be better than this. The Jaguars should not be in a three-way race with the Colts and the Texans. This should not be happening. They have too much talent for this. Is this, is on Balky? Is this on Peterson? Is this on Trevor Lawrence having a ceiling that we didn't think happened? I don't know, but they should not be. This should be have been the leap year. I was shorting them. I was shorting them last year. I thought that weirdly, like the Dolphins were the team that were going to take the leap in the AFC. I was correct. This was this time last year or even longer before that. But I still think that there should have been a leap to where, like, last year was the three way. Like last year was the acceptable year for them being a three-way race. Not not this year. Um, disappointing season, even if they make the playoffs. All right, Flynn, question time. We're actually going to start with two questions. First, oh yeah. First, Ben Panga asks, is this season boring or just confusing? And then Bud asks, not sure if it's just me, but I'm less confident in every team week to week than any year prior. Is it just parody or something more? Yeah, so I think that there are – let's start with the second one about the parody thing because every time there's a massive run by a team, they, the narrative gets undone very, very, very quickly. It's happened every single week. Every time we crown a team, it gets undone. So why is that? Number one, I think that it's a league of incomplete teams. I think that we as a media and a, and a consumer base have trouble trusting our eyes on – Brock Purdy, even though the numbers and the eyes show that he's very good, we're saying, okay, Brock Purdy's Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant. Like, we're going to, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? That's part of it. Mahomes, incomplete roster, doesn't have a wide receiver. We're still, jury's still out. Our, same, same with Purdy, right? Like, jury's still out on Tua because I think there's just still questions about how, how much better he got under Mike McDaniel, right? Like when does that, like, I'm talking, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about like why it seems like from week to week, we're not buying in and crowning anybody. First of all, the results undo themselves very quickly. Like look at the Cowboys, hottest team in football, five straight wins. And now they look like they, they would get bullied out of the Sunbelt conference. And so I think it's a mixture of incomplete teams, quarterbacks who are having incomplete seasons. And this is something I've hit on a bunch, but like, we got spoiled by the by what I call the golden generation of quarterbacks. Breeze, even Rodgers in Green Bay, uh, Manning, Brady, obviously. Where like even like Carson Palmer, Stafford, the numbers he put up um, in that passing boom. But let's take t- let's take the older guys separately, which is that they turned up with Spielberg a couple weeks ago, right? Or Klassen maybe, where they came into the league had a million trillion hours of practice, no practice rules at all in college. They get to the NFL doing two a days, all this stuff. And then by the time they get old, they're the rules switch and they're able to play forever. And they never get hit. And they don't do two a days. Like that was the perfect storm. That was Gladwellian 10,000 hours BS for those guys. Not BS. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was that kind of stuff. And I think that we're seeing now, some quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are, let's say, a little more dependent on situation. Throwing in rhythm. Obviously, you need really good receivers. 
Um, some teams like the Eagles have just just been off, or or and then, by the way, part of this is just injury. Like I don't think the season's been boring at all. I think it's been really exciting if you love football. But there's also just been a lot of teams like again, I'm not going to say for the millionth time the re- but the reason I picked the Bengals to win the Super Bowl is I thought they were going to be pretty much the perfect team, and then just things go south and nothing ever recovers. So I don't. I think this is just a mixture of bad luck, modern football baking in some inconsistencies and just a talent level that's a little more spread out and the way the way teams spend money is interesting to me like it's really hard there's more there's more money going like the, the way the cap is structured now it's kind of easier to keep drafted players in house and i just feel like the talent spread out a little bit more and you're just going to end up getting a damn panthers team Beating the Falcons. Um, that just sort of how the, that just that's just the way the league is set up. That's that's how it goes. Um, all right, Phil, what's next? Ben Rex wants to know what would it take for Josh Allen to re-enter the MVP conversation? Win out, big one against Miami. Yeah, so I Sunday did not help him. Like we can't, this is, you're doing the same thing other people are doing where it's like James Cook has a great game. We go, Oh good. Josh Allen's back in the MVP race. Like we're, I feel like we're trying to give the MVP award to somebody other than Brock Purdy. Now maybe the answer is somebody like Lamar Jackson. Brock Purdy himself, by the way, said Christian McCaffrey should win the MVP. Something to watch. Um, and I was intrigued by a stat NFL put out um, that Purdy completed 10 of 12, Passes for 165 yards, three touchdowns on Sunday when targeting open receivers. He was the first quarterback to throw multiple TDs on Sunday to receivers with 10 or more yards of separation since 2021 when Dak Prescott did it. Let me ask you a question. Does that help or hurt his MVP candidacy? Because I legitimately don't know. At some point, if Lamar struggles next couple weeks, I mean, like, you can give it to Mahomes every year. He's the most valuable player in football. But, like, that's just not how the award goes. Maybe it's McCaffrey. I mean, maybe McCaffrey and Purdy split votes and somebody like Lamar sneaks in there. Great. Lamar deserves it if he gets it. Everybody deserves it. Um, you can make a case for a bunch of people. Again, incomplete season. I'm not going to f- write 7,000 words about some injustice on this award. Um, I thought in the early season the defensive player might be in the mix for, but no, no defensive players put together the perfect season. Um, but I just don't know how the voters view this. I believe Purdy will likely win because of the way the numbers he's putting up because of the team success. It would be astounding and against the parameters the media has set up if Purdy didn't win. Um, and I think Niners fans would have a, a, a real gripe. I don't actually, like, I don't actually care that much about MVP. But, like, I think Niners fans have a legitimate gripe if Purdy doesn't win just because it doesn't seem like he's as good uh, as the numbers suggest. So I that's that, I, that's that's my weasel at, words weaseling out of it. But that's, that's, that's my take. Flynn? Finally, Chris Roney asks, what if earlier in the year the Falcons tried to go after Lamar? Yeah, maybe the Ravens were never going to let Lamar leave in the first place, but you make them make that decision. Best case, you would have ended up with Lamar as your QB. Worst case, you would have Desmond Ritter as QB1. 
Yeah, it becomes one of the most baffling. When you, The more you see Ritter, there's always an element, and coaches do this, I think, to sort of obscure other decision-making flaws, but there's always an element of I know something you don't know in NFL rosters in these camps. And you always say, hey, why didn't you draft this guy? And they'll say, well, you know, he's got – and I'm, I'm talking in general. I say, it's like, well, you don't know. I mean, I, I met with him five times and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, well, I don't know, man. I watched this guy play in college, and he looked – he looked pretty good. And normally, to be honest with you, I'm I, I, typically the people who don't overthink and have more success in that stuff. And you say, okay, this guy, this guy balled out. You know, we talked about CJ Stroud a couple of weeks ago. It's like, I don't know. CJ Stroud played against Georgia and lit it up, almost beat them if they had a better field goal kicker. So, like, it seems like he's pretty good. Um, so there's always this element of like, well, we know we know way more than you. And I'm waiting here on somebody to give me a good explanation why nobody tried to godfather offer Lamar Jackson. Because every single week it gets more baffling. The teams that didn't do it should be embarrassed. Um, I agree with nothing to lose. Like I honestly thought them not offering Lamar meant they were, had some sort of ace up their sleeve. Like, and I was on paternity leave, so I wasn't following it closely. But you just view it and it's like, well, they've obviously got a plan. It can't be Desmond Ritter. Surprise, it's Desmond Ritter. So it gets more embarrassing by the week. I agree. It's, it, it is one of the biggest what-ifs in football this year. And uh, the Ravens are very happy that they didn't have to get into a bidding war with anybody. All right, we'll be back on Tuesday with one of the best guests we can possibly have. Uh, a good buddy of mine who, uh, who has been on my old show. I've been on his show. Um, this is going to be very, very fun. Uh, I will see you guys midweek. This has been football. Thank you. Thank you to Flynn and Miles.